This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I would like to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to our weather podcast. And joining me, as always, here in the Weather Lounge is my co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. How's it going today? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I didn't want to, uh, you know, give you all the I accolades. Guess, accolades today. Yeah, we, we want to maximize our time. I think we usually. We've got to, Usually you give me accolades no, though. So what, what's some, going on? Some, I got to go to the stores and look up another, uh, you know, <laughs> fantastic, magnificent, wonderful. I think I'm running out. So, okay. but, but we got a good guest today. Uh, not that all, any of our guests aren't good, but this is this is a special guest, and yeah. uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, snow removal in the uh, public works department today. Right. Yeah, we have uh, Tom Spring on the show today, and he's uh, been a public works director for over 20 years, 24 years exact. Um, but for a couple of New Jersey towns out there, um, we'll get, let him get into that once we start his interview. But, you know, I always think about it, you know, you're out there. How many times have we driven in the middle of snowstorms in the middle of the night? And there you have to thank for. Yeah. And there are guys out there constantly plowing, constantly, uh, salting the roads, keeping everything safe for people. And you know, you don't ever even think about who's actually doing that, but hey, Tom's our guy. Right. And a couple of weeks ago, we had John Crandall on, and he's more on the private side of contracting and snow removal, things like that. Now we're on the taxpayer side and sure. how things work with, you know, state departments and public works. And, and again, you know, it's a little bit different of a uh, ball game here. We got, you know, everyone's got a budget to, to deal with, but this one's a little different because now we're dealing with taxpayers' money versus contractors money when sure. they're trying to decide you know where they're going to plow and it's up to them this is yeah. really up to them this is uh this is up to taxpayers and we got to you know think well, of them yeah i mean it's a it's a, it's a different ball game i mean it, we're not talking about a private contractor at all you know who's you know looking to get a bunch of contracts looking to make a, a decent amount of money for their living or whatever it may be um which they're not wrong at any no, way in doing not. that absolutely but not. uh you know, with the uh, DPWs and stuff, you know, their primary object- objective is just kind of keeping p- keeping people safe on the road. Keeping people safe and, you know, keeping uh, the money, of course, you know, at, at, at bay and trying to figure out, you know, where they can best use the money for the taxpayer. Right. And, and again, this this is where WeatherWorks comes in. You know, we're going to supply the forecast for whether it's a contractor or Department of Public, Public Works, which we have plenty of all across the uh, Northeast and into the Midwest. So. You know, our forecasts are very, very crucial for not only their decision making, but, you know, where they're going to salt and where they're going to have to, you know, plow and things like that. So uh, a lot of things are on the line with this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's enough of our talk back and forth. You know, let's actually bring in Tom and we'll do that right after this. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. How many times have you been burned by a weather forecast? Well, there's probably been a few and it might have cost your business thousands. WeatherWorks is different. We have over 30 meteorologists to give you forecasts, notifications, and even weather advice 24-7. That could certainly help when it comes down to those crucial decisions. But there's even more products we offer from data to historical reports. Call us at 908-850-8600 or visit us on the web at weatherworksinc.com. And oh, don't forget, when you think weather, think WeatherWorks. Hello and welcome.
welcome back to the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Again, I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and uh, we've got a very special guest with us today, uh, Tom Spring. He has been with a lot of Department of Public Works across a good portion of northern New Jersey. And without further ado, uh, Tom, welcome here to the Weather Lounge. Thank you. I appreciate your, the offer of coming out and spending some time with you and uh, educating you on winter chemical usage. Great. Well, give us a little background here on just uh, your work and where you've been. And I know you've been in the business for a long time and you're retired now, correctly? Yes, correct? I'm currently retired. Um, I started in public works with Sparta Township uh, 24 years ago. I worked for Sparta for 12 years, ended up going to Randolph. Uh, Randolph, I spent 10 years. And then my last uh, two and a half, three years was with Dover. Um, while I was with Sparta is when I got introduced to Winter Chemicals. Um, luckily, I had a, a support staff, uh, my engineer, my public works manager, who allowed us to experiment with chemicals, and that got me uh, the basis of what I've learned and what I've carried on to the other town. Yeah, and I think that's um, I think that's a big deal. I mean, a lot of people might not know what goes in to all the de-icers, uh, into the the chemicals you put on the roads. They just see the lines on the roads, and they're not thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I'll Oh, well, that must be treating, obviously, but uh, they don't know what really goes into that and, and all that. So, I mean, Tom, I mean, let's get right into it. I mean, obviously, you've been doing this for a long time. You really know uh, your stuff. Um, what is the main purpose of putting that pretreatment on the roadways? From stopping the bonding of snow to the road surface. Because once you have a bond, then you have to break the bond. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, in order to do that, you have to use a lot more either chemicals, salt, um, or any other product you may have to break the bond, and you're actually trying to melt it from the top down. When you put a uh, product down uh, before an event or just the event begins, you're creating a, sur- uh, a liquid on the surface that as the snow comes down, it doesn't bond and it continues to stay uh, loose to where it can be plowed off. Oh, I see. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you, you see that you were talking about the brine, of course, right? And a lot of folks will see that. And, you know, one time, you know, we'll see it and we're like, ah, why are they putting brine down? I don't think the forecast is really calling for that. But yet other times you'll see brine on the road and, you know, folks will be like, oh, well, it must be some snow in the forecast. And basically that's kind of what you're doing, just getting. But how how far in advance can you put that brine down, though? Well, see, that's the whole uh, problem with advancing yourself in chemical. Brine is basically your entry level into using winter chemicals. Okay. Uh, all brine is, is liquid sodium chloride. So you take salt, you mix it with water, you have a 23% solution, and you're putting that down. The, the problem you have with brine is that if you apply it to a road too far in advance, it actually dries and becomes airborne. Mm. The cars will have the salt dust on them, just like you do after a, a winter storm on a county or state road that they just put a ton of salt down. Uh, that ends up drying and become, excuse me, becomes dust. Um, so you can't put salt brine down that far in advance of the storm. You have to basically put it down just prior to the event so that you have the product there when the event begins. If you put it down too far in advance, you start losing a percentage of it for every hour or for depending if it's a high traffic area. You know, you see uh, the state and counties, they put salt brine down, heavily trafficked road, uh, traveled road, uh, you lose that a lot quicker. Then if you put it in a development where there's very minimal amount of traffic, even though it dries and, and can become airborne, there's not the traffic going over allowing that to happen. 
that moves you into the second stage of chemical usage where you start mixing agricultural products into the salt brine. Mm. When you see lines on a road and they're white lines, <clears throat> that is a salt brine. If you right. see lines on a road that are brown, that means there's an agricultural product mixed in with it. That will not evaporate. I mean, it will a little bit, but you can probably, I mean, I've put that down 24 hours in advance of a storm and it's about 90% still effective. Uh, with salt brine, after about two, three hours, it's gone. Really? So yeah, so you really want to step up your game. Uh, salt brine, again, is the entry level, and a lot of people get involved in that because it's very inexpensive. Salt brine's about 17 cents a gallon. Okay. You That's know? probably why they, they, I mean, I see it on Route 80, you can see it all the time, but they may put it down 24 hours before a storm. I'm exactly. just wondering if it's still effective. Nope, and, it's yeah. gone. It, hmm. it was a waste of that 17 cents, plus the man hours to put it down, the equipment that put it down, so on and so forth. Um, I know there's also a, a, a question of why are there lines down the road instead of something else. Yeah, I was just going to ask yeah. them that same thing. What are we doing lines for? Can't we just spray it evenly on the roadway? It's not why? being sprayed. That's why. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. This is, again, entry level uh, with salt brine. It's a gravity-fed system. You basically have a bar on the back of the truck that has holes drilled in it, mm -hmm. and the truck drives down the road. There's a solenoid on the back. All the solenoid does is open up the valve. You know, now when you get into major operation, um, like out in Ohio, they actually have tankers that have spray bars on them that are pressurized. And they will take care of interstate highways with strictly with chemical. Mm -hmm. They will apply it. And by the time they turn around to come back, they'll apply it again. And it'll just continue to keep the road clear hmm. because they're, but now they're spraying it. So they're getting full application, full width, not stripes, you know? Yeah. So that, that's the deal with stripes. Okay. Well, there you go. Now, you know, is there an ideal time before a storm? I don't know if I missed it before, but to put down the salt brine? Not I mean, th there's a lot of variables of, of when it's going to come. Um, what your best scenario would be is if it's going to be a nighttime storm, you put it down during the day while your staff is in on normal hours. Sure. So you're not paying for overtime. They can apply it again. If you're using agricultural products, they're not going to become airborne. So they're going to stay in place until the storm <clears> comes in at night. I mean, the best time is always right before the event. But if you have 150 miles of road and you have 17 trucks to do 150 miles of road, it's going to take you two and a half, three hours to apply it. So you want to have your men in two and a half, three hours prior to it, providing the storm rolls in when it was expected to roll in. So by going, again, to these agricultural products, it gives you a lot of buffer that the product will still be there when the event actually begins. And then, of course, as the event begins, the snow that lands on the treated surface begins to melt, which creates a brine, and that works its, off, its way off the crown, you know, to the curb of the road. Because when you would do this application, you do it basically four foot on each side of the center line of the road. That way, the crown allows it to run mm. down. You're not basically applying this curb to curb because no one drives down the curb. You want it where the people drive. And like I said, as it continues to create its own brine, it continues to melt towards the curb line. And then at the end of the event, you can scrape the shoulders off because they're not bonded to the road because they have a brine underneath mm. it that was coming off the crown. So that's, that's yeah. kind of how you want to plan that. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's great. I mean, I think I think maybe people look at it a little bit different out there where, you know, maybe they see those lines on the road and they just figure like, well, that's going to 
keep the snow from sticking the entire event. I think that's what kind of a misconception is. Absolutely. Be like, well, that that has done nothing, but it's so important to realize that it's actually just preventing that bond to the pavement, creating that ice that becomes more hazardous to travelers. And that's what you're trying to do as a public works director. You know, you I keep imagine safe. Yeah, you want to keep people safe. And for you 17 don't... cents a gallon, I mean, I guess it's well worth it to do the salt brine at first. <laughs> well, yeah. again, the salt brine is your lowest entry. Right, your lowest entry. But then if you go to a 70-30 mix, 70% salt brine, 30% agricultural product, now you're up to about 50 cents a okay. gallon, which is still not a lot of money when you're talking about True. Uh, road safety and winter chemicals. And that will give you even more time because the dilution to solution, how long it takes for the chemical with the salt brine to dilute out to nothing is a lot longer period of time. So you're able to have more snow come down. I see. Dilution to the, I like that. Dilution, Dilution to, to solution. solution. Yeah. yeah. You have know. to use that one thing. There you go. We'll have to, yeah. <laughs> Next we'll time we're on the forecast. <laughs> yeah. Dilution to solution. Um, but, but, uh, but Mike, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, what people perceive is happening uh, because we were taught that the wrong thing. When, when oh, I first I started in, in winter chemicals 25 years ago, we were told that it would melt two inches of snow. So we would apply it before an event. We would let it snow. You get about two inches of snow. We'd go out there and now be bonded to the road because it diluted mm. to a solution. Yeah. Bonded to the road because it wasn't made to do that. Yeah. We finally figured out on our own or by going to other seminars, different chemical suppliers, that it's only to stop the bonds from beginning. Right. And then you have to reapply. But the advantage of reapplying is you, re you can reapply your product at half the ratio because now you're basically super treating what's down already. The stuff that's down, now you're reactivating it and giving a boost. So you're saving even more money now, you know, which is a big thing like Brett said, or Brad, you know, we have certain dollars we need to work with within our budget. We want to get the best bang for our buck. So instead of just applying the same application rate, which is costing you a certain dollar amount, now you apply in the beginning, you cut it in half for the next one, and you may not need a third application because you have that, that solution on the road and you're now able to plow and there's residual left and that residual will melt off the slime or the little flurries that come after. Yeah, sure, yeah. You know, a little refreeze. And it doesn't get the refreeze because, you know, regular rock salt, road salt doesn't have that long of a life. It dilutes out very quickly. Mm. Now you're making a product that will stay there a lot longer. Now, when you say agricultural, um, are you talking like beet juice? And I mean, well, I've just heard yeah. beet juice, pickle juice has been used before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But how how common is that in the north? It sounds like it's more out in the plains that they use that stuff. No, that's. Uh, I mean, there are some suppliers around. Yeah. Um, yeah. The supplier that I've always, most of the time, have used is out of Albany, um, so, and and they have now tank farms down here. Um, so it's not coming from Albany all the right. time. So they're able to you know meet their supply and demand. Um, but th that product. Um, it it varies on how it's produced. I mean, beet juice uh, was the term it got in the beginning, but technically it was a byproduct of the brewery manufacturing huh. for beers. Mm. And they were dumping this stuff because it was a byproduct, which is environmentally safe. They were dumping it in the stream and the stream wasn't freezing over. And they finally said, to themselves, huh. holy crap, this stuff is would work as Naturally, a Naturally, it's, it's working wow. as a... As a 
propellant to the snow. Like, so, right. so you heard it here first. Yeah. Drink some beers over the winter. Help out your local departments uh, clearing the roads. Right? Beer is a de-icer. <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but with that product, uh, it's, it's like a molasses. So mm. it's not an agricultural product totally because it's diluted with either magnesium chloride or calcium chloride. Okay, by Makes diluting sense. it allows us to be able to pump it and spray it or gravity feed hmm. um, or so on and so forth. Um, but the, yeah, that's pretty, you know. Yeah. That, yeah, sure. That's what you're doing with the product. It, it has to be diluted. That, that's, that's really, now, if you didn't brine the roads and you decided we're just going to plow and we're going to treat with rock salt, is that just, I mean, obviously your efficiency is going to go down, I would imagine. Um, but expense wise, you talking more expense to do it in that fashion? Yeah. I mean, uh, rock salt is, yeah, it, it depends. It varies. It could be $65. It could be $72 a ton. Um, and usually what happens in most public works is you'll have a full-size truck, whether it's a single axle or a tandem, they'll go out and they'll apply a full truckload to their route. That's, that's without proper calibration and so on and so forth. But that's kind of how the guys gear and judge their route. But when you start using chemical, you find out that you're only using about half that much mm. oh, wow. because it's going a lot further. And again, that's the most expensive product is the calcium chloride. You know, when you start ag agricultural and it's diluted, like I, you know, the 70-30 or however you're applying, you, know, it, you get more bang for your buck. Also, the guys don't have to work as long because now you're dealing with the storm starts you have to apply. You get two inches, you're going to plow, you're going to reapply. You're going to get some more, you're going to plow, say that's at the end of the storm. Now you're going to apply the entire town all over again to bear the roads up for the end of the storm. A lot of times, like I mentioned before, residual, when you have, when you use agricultural based products, you have residuals left on the surface of the road. So at the end of the storm, that will melt off what little bit is left of the hmm. slime that the plow doesn't pick up. Or again, you get that little flurry an hour later, takes care of that. You know, also when you do this pre-treating, you may never have to have your men come in that night if we have a dusting. Now what happens at midnight when you have a dusting, the guys get called in. There's still cars out there. That dusting gets packed down onto the road. Now Turns you're trying to ice. burn that off. Right. You have the black ice. You have all whatever type of ice. You know, now you have to put more chemical down to burn down to the surface of the road. You know, so it definitely works out. Yeah, I just feel like that might be important for maybe a, a smaller contractor or something like that who might be landscaping in the summer, in the spring, and they, they think, well... I don't know if I have time to do the brine or I don't know if I, you know, I'll just use my rock salt to end, you know, well, now that you're saying it could save time, it's more cost effective. Um, that might be something this guy might try now. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, well, the, the new technique, I mean, you, you know, you, you talk about brining, but what we've begin, well, we've probably been doing it for probably the last eight, maybe 10 years is actually salting the roads before an event. Okay. But, in order to make that work, you have to be treating your salt with a product to make it stick to the road. Is that you, the pre-wetting thing I hear about uh, yeah, or kind of? Well, pre-wetting is wetting the salt before it goes onto the road. Hmm. Okay. Um, there's a couple different ways to do that. It gets sprayed on the salt as it's hitting the spinner. Or now the new technique is in the trough, the chemical is being introduced. So as the auger moves the material to drop onto the spinner, it's being mixed. So you get a more uniform mix. But that makes the salt stick to the road. And then when the cars run over it, it crushes it 
and puts it into the pores of the asphalt. If you use dry salt, like when they used to, when everybody used sand, it, right off. Yeah, yeah. it goes right to the curb. You know, it just get kicked off and you're not utilizing. I mean, you might be using 10% of what you put down. Now you're using 85, 90, 95%, depending mm. again on the traffic flow. But that's, I've seen contractors try to, to work with that. And that seems to be the better thing for them. Because again, you can't have brining material uh, equipment, you know, to have the salting equipment to apply. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big expense. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the back when I was working in landscaping and, and snow plowing and things like that. I mean, we didn't know a whole lot about how to go about with the pretreatments. Like, the, I remember there was a one storage center. We would just throw down like rock salt, you know, before the storm. Now, we thought that this was going to stop the snow from accumulating and it wouldn't be that bad in the end to, you know, plow off. But in reality, that was kind of a wrong rationale. You know, whereas we're just like you're saying, trying to limit that bond so we don't get ice everywhere. So it's I, I just go back to those times where I'm thinking like, man, we did the total wrong thing. We shouldn't have done that. And plus, there wasn't a lot of traffic going through a storage center to mash it into the road, like you were saying, and grind it up, you know, to really uh, distribute it. Yeah, but what you were doing in effect effectively was pre-treating your road, your parking lot or mm -hmm. interior roads or whatever you want to call them. So you were, see, so you have to create a brine. Yeah. Rock salt, when it's below 24 degrees, I mean, there, there's a debate, 25, 24, 23, yeah. you know, but it, it'll just lay there. It has to turn to a liquid. So by you putting that salt down in your parking lot, and then when it began to snow, depending on what the road temperature was, what the ambient temperatures are, but if, as long as that rock salt could start to turn to a liquid, you were ha you had brine there, and that's why you didn't have the bonding to the road surface. You know, it's not like salt. I mean, grit. You know, grit is is a whole other. But if it's nineteen degrees and the rock salt's sitting there, that's why this pretreatment has come. You know, with salt brine. You know, all that's doing is activating salt, right. making it start working. Now, when when you guys, well, when you used to deal with all the uh, the storms and did precipitation type. I guess it had to, to a point. How much did that change your either uh, removal process or, uh, I mean, if you heard a forecast, you know, it was going to be more sleet than snow or more freezing rain than snow. How much would that change what you did before anything arrived? Well, I mean, when I started doing, I was taught this by an old time superintendent in Sparta. Um, we had an event come in like that. We, we pre-applied uh, pre Actually, it was salt because we were we were just starting to play with brine, but we pre-applied, so it created a brine as the event started. He said, "Do not send a truck out to plow a darn thing off. Let it lay there." And it laid there. We had three, four inches of snow, getting all kinds of phone calls. Why aren't you plowing the roads? Well, we went out and plowed the roads, and they scraped up bare after all the ice and everything because it right. was it was coming landing on top of itself. Other towns that tried to scrape their roads clean. They ended up having that sleet bond to the road surface, and to break ice is way worse than mm. trying to break so, uh, snow from the roads. Yeah, we get the same questions uh, from you know a lot of our clients when they want briefings. You know, can, can we should we wait or should we let it sleet first? Should we let the freezing? You know, obviously freezing rain is a whole different story. You probably got to stay on top of that, but sleet's probably yeah. a little different. And we'll, what do we say all the time? That sleet kind of laughs at salt because it can't do anything to it. It, and when sleet falls, a sleet pellet can look at a salt pellet and say, mm -hmm. ah, well, you can't do anything to me because it's not, yeah. not going to melt 
an ice ball. It's, it's harder, harder to, do. to do, yeah. Yeah. Than the snowflake. But if you can leave a little layer of salt, and, yeah. or easy, even if you had the ice and you had the treatment down and it turned right. to like a mealy, mixy thing, leave that on the bottom. It's easy and to push it, off. Right, right. It'll crust up over we, the top. We hear that a lot. Yeah. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's a, a common. But uh, it's totally opposite of what you think. Right. Yeah. You and know, I, when I was asked to do that, I was like, you got to be freaking <laughs> kidding me. And I actually, <laughs> I called my mayor and said, just so you know, this is what we're doing. Yeah. So when you get phone calls, but uh, it, it's a very effective, hmm. you know, now when it turns to freezing, you know, freezing rain, the whole yeah. event. Yeah. You're just pounding the crap to it, you know, and hoping that. I'm sure timing of, of the storm, too, as a, is a big, you know, mm -hmm. or is, that's going to change your plan of attack, too, with, you know, whether it's going to be a morning or evening rush hour versus, yep. you know, one or two in the morning when you know, there's not many cars. But you can use that to your advantage, too, True. because the cars traveling over the road create heat, you know, and you get that <laughs> working a lot quicker. But you're absolutely correct. Yeah, that's. A lot of stuff that you never yeah, really good information. never really think of. Um, but, um, you know, I, so with the uh, freezing rain type storm, an ice storm like that, you just kind of keep hammering with salt. Is that the basic strategy to do on that event? Pretty, pretty much. I mean, there's not, I mean, you, you try to pick your spots now. I mean, a lot of towns do this. They have their primary, secondaries, and subdivisions. Sure. Subdivisions are usually very flat roads, you know, because it's where people live. Mm hmm you usually don't bother with them. And as much as residents don't want to hear that, you don't, it's not a priority because nothing's really going to happen in there except a car might slide and hit, hit, hit a mailbox or something. Or a mailbox. <laughs> but your primary and secondary, and primary, of course, are roads that take a lot of traffic. And the secondaries are, whether they're a hill, sharp turn, those are the roads you, you concentrate on. And yeah, you just continue to pound the salt to them. And, you know, 20 minutes later, an hour later, it might be washed off the road and you have to apply again. Yeah. You know, those are ones you just kind of like, you know, shut your eyes and just keep going. You know, there's, <laughs> there's just, you know, and you know, you're going to get yelled at the next day when you, when they see how much salt you have to order to replenish your supplies. I mean, really it's either that or you're going to have a sheet of ice all over your road and exactly. cards sliding everywhere. Yep. So, and you're going to get in trouble for that too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you'd have more trouble yes. with, uh, the latter, uh, one. Correct. Um, but, uh, now, I know you said about, is there a certain threshold that you start? We talked a lot about salt uh, only, but is there a certain threshold where you start going into other products like calcium, magnesium, anything like that? Well, again, the Go back calcium, to the temperature debate, I guess. Well, magnesium will definitely take you down to a lower eutectic temperature um, than calcium will. But not most people that have used those products have advanced now into the agricultural product, you know. But that's your only advantage. Well, there, there's many other advantages. Again, uh, calcium and magnesium are extremely corrosive. Okay, so you're not only affecting the people who drive through the town, but you're affecting your equipment. I mean, when I started in public works, and any public works guy will tell you, the trucks were rusting so bad that the metal was flaking off the frames. Wow. Well, by going to agricultural product, with an agricultural product enhanced with either calcium or magnesium, it has a lower corrosive rating than water. And wow. all, all my trucks in the towns that I've worked in, uh, none of them are rusting anymore because of using chemical. Now, I know there's a lot of bus companies who don't want to blame the public works for putting down products that their stuff is rusting. They're not maintaining their equipment properly. It's that simple. But the corrosiveness, and you can buy, you can put uh, corrosive enhancers, um, or yeah, I guess they call it. But anyway, um, they still don't lower the corrosiveness as low as going with agricultural. 
So in my mind, there is no straight calcium magnesium anymore. It's you. just a decision of which product I'm going to use with my agricultural product. And I would always want to use magnesium because it will take you down to a lower temperature. Now, granted, are we ever going to get to those low temperatures in Jersey? No, but you're really not paying a whole lot more for a little security of right. making sure you can get down to negative 20 and negative 15. Yeah, we don't see those temperatures, but boy, it helps to know your stuff will take care of it. Hmm. So I think the it sounds like to me that the future of all this is, is kind of that agricultural product, you know, just yes. kind of shying more and more away from just the straight salt brine and getting more into the agriculture, even though it's a little bit more pricey, but I mean, less corrosive. It's probably better for the environment too, I would imagine. Well, that's where you roll into that also is the environment. The New Jersey being an environmental state, um, they I've gone to many seminars that they've actually come out and they've said, we don't know when and how we're going to do it but we're going to stop the usage of salt. They've already stopped the usage of grit, even though there are hmm. towns that still use grit, but the grit is going into the tributaries, clogging yeah. up the streams. Yeah. But we also know the salinity levels are increasing in, in the you know, surface waters. Um, so they have said that. That's why I really got on board with the environmental chemical, because now I'm reducing the amount of salt I'm using, you know, which hopefully will keep them happy, because if we eliminate salt totally, I mean, yeah, you can apply chemicals, but it's going to cost you a, ton, a lot of money. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I, I did have another thing I was going to ask him, and I can't think of it right now. <laughs> but uh, About the weather service? It was, yeah, it was, it was along the lines of the, oh, the grit. You keep talking about the grit. I, um, does the grit really do anything? Well, I know a lot of people aren't going to like me here uh, to hear this. but uh, Okay, grit, those grit, people can close their ears. Yeah, grit does nothing has no melting characteristic, okay? Um, the only time it's going to work is if you had a hard surface ice to where the tire and the ice will use the grit as traction. traction yeah. But any That's other time, it. that grit's going to be pushed into the ice or the snow, and you're not going to gain any traction. Then when the event is over, now you have all this stuff that cars are sliding through intersections because they can't stop. Mm. So now you have to send men out and equipment to sweep those portions of the road. Oh my gosh. After the winter, you have to sweep all the curb lines of your town, clean out every catch basin, and now dispose of a hazardous material. So the cost of using grit is, is tremendous compared to using a little bit more salt or buying agricultural products and adding into your salt. Hmm. You should not be using grit at all. I've, you know, I know a lot of old time public works guys like, well, that's what my, my go-to stuff. But it doesn't do anything. It really doesn't unless you have solid, solid ice that's hard as a rock. And how many times do we have that? Yeah, yeah not, not a lot. And that's what I always thought to myself. I'm thinking, oh, here's a snow-packed road. They're putting in this salt, maybe mixed with grit. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's just getting pushed into the snow. Mm -hmm. It's getting pushed further and further into that snowpack that's on the road. You know, I... I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. This does nothing. And that's just me coming from, you know, uh, just kind of an everyday kind of guy here. Mm -hmm. I, mean, yeah. I just thought it's not a great idea, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what the residents or the driving public gets used to. You know, I know we, we had a, a grit shortage 20 years ago. Um, and we ended up buying grit from a lime quarry. So it was white. So they didn't think we were putting anything down. And they were calling like crazy, why aren't you putting grit down on the road? You know, it, <laughs> because that's what the, the perception. It's the same way with the stripes. 
You know, when we first started doing that, they're calling and say, why are you putting water on the roads when we're expecting a snowstorm? Well, it's not water. You explain to them what it is. Right. Well, now if you don't put it down, they're calling and saying, why, <laughs> why aren't you applying? You know, and of course it happened with pre, uh, pre-treating yeah. with now salt before an event. Why aren't you salting the roads? It's supposed to snow tonight. You know, but the first time we did, you guys got to be crazy. You're salting <laughs> the roads that hasn't even started snowing yet. You know, so a lot of public perception, uh, yeah. you know, it, it needs the information of why we do things. And there's really not the avenue to get it out to the public. I mean, we wow. would always put it in newsletters, but people don't read that or understand it. Well, the way of social media today, too, it's just, you know, you can't do anything anymore without somebody noticing or it, regardless of what, what it is, whether it's snow removal or anything in, mm-hmm. in, in life now. I mean, social media will just hammer you for one thing or another or, you know, there's always that other side that's going to have a different argument versus what you think. So. Sure. Except WeatherWorks social media. We're well, all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, right. Speaking of WeatherWorks, so, so when you have a private forecasting company like ourselves, I mean, how, how beneficial is that? Not only, I'm sure with, you know, man hours that you could probably wait for a certain time to have them ready to go with plows and I guess just anything really, uh, our heads ups, you know, helps in the middle of the night where you can get out there and get certain, you know, uh, product out to get the morning commute ready to go because you had a snow shower at 2 a.m. and everything's covered. So where, where do we come in as, as, a, as a private weather industry? Uh, pretty much just what you said. I mean, it starts off from the very beginning when the event's going to begin. Um, if it's going to be a nighttime event that my men are home, uh, I can give them a time what time to be into the shop so that they're not driving in in the snow. Because if they're driving in Good in the point. snow, yeah. It's, it's a little late. Now the other cars are out there packing the roads down before, unless we pre-treated, which we do. But again, they come in on dry roads, okay? Now there may be times that, you know, we plan it. All right, we want them in an hour before the event begins because we want to have them hook up the equipment. <laughs> or we have the equipment hooked up prior to them leaving at the end of the day. On the other end of the storm, same thing. I'll give you a call or one of my supervisors will call and say, you know, when do you think this is going to end? And you'll say, you know, whatever time that may be. And we'll say, all right, we're going to hold the guys in the shop, let them get a break, you know, and we won't go out for another hour or another two hours. It also gives us time uh, to lay the guys down for rest. You know, at, at between midnight and 2 a.m., there's not many cars on the road. If the precipitation has slowed down, we might tell the guys, lay down, get some rest. And at 2 o'clock, we're going to go back out and start hitting it again. You know, and that comes in with Maggie's Law. Because Maggie's law is a sleep deprivation law mm. that these guys can't just work over, you know, hours and hours and hours. They need time off. So we have to log in how much time they're actually not on just the like, road. Just like, I guess, a truck driver, right? Pretty much. Yeah. You know, a little different than the CDL laws. Yeah. Because I mean, this came into effect when a young girl was killed by a guy who was driving a courier van and he was sleep deprived. Mm. You know, so we document... If the guys are in the shop working on the trucks and getting the trucks ready, that's not on road time, you know, but we want to lay them down and give them a rest. So at least we're giving them the opportunity, whether they sleep or not, at least with their eyes closed, at least, you know, helps them out a little bit. But by getting information from you guys, that allows us to get that break in there also. You know, and then, you know, the other things of how much precipitation coming, what type of precipitation you know, uh, what's the atmosphere temperature? You know, we always had road temperature monitors in our trucks so the guys were able to judge off of that stuff. But knowing that we could call the weather service at any time and ask them what's going on with the event is well worth, just so much more worth the forecast. 
Yeah. I mean, the forecast is good. Sure. But that's not the reason I had a weather storm. I had it for during the event. Yeah. Again, we get that a lot. I mean, we'll, we'll update the forecast as many times as we need to if things are changing. And they mm-hmm. always do change. And mm-hmm. not saying that we're wrong in our forecast, but certain things change during the storm. But yes, that 24-hour consultation that we offer is hands down. I think that's what everyone loves because they can call it 2 in the morning. They can call it 5 in the morning, mm-hmm. 2 in the afternoon. And they'll get a meteorologist that is covering New Jersey or Maryland or northern New York, you know. They will talk to that meteorologist and they'll get up to the minute information on what's going on and you know when, like you said, when's it gonna end. And we'll we'll send out heads up when we need to, but you know, just having that 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 confidence in a voice answering your questions is you know, that's like you said, it's it's worth every penny. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I think it's I think it's great that um, you know, you find that so important, you know, and that that kind of even with our own staff will you know, who, who might be listening to this podcast, they might think, wow, now I really understand yeah. why, you know, I'm, I'm here working all night long yeah. or whatever it may be, um, you know, because these guys really make crucial decisions on what they're going to do and how they're going to attack a storm based on what I tell them about and, the and weather. And the nice thing is to every meteorologist, I don't, I mean, I, I can probably speak for every meteorologist in this country that if you didn't like weather, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Right. I mean, it's just like anything else. And, and that's what makes, I mean, I'm, I'm a weather geek. I'm not going to lie. When there's a, a nasty storm coming in the summer, I'm going to go out and look for it. You know, there's a snowstorm coming. I'm all in, yep. you know, and, and there's excitement. Even though you're working, there is excitement and you want to get things right. And, and that's kind of, I think, where we kind of step ahead of all the others. And we try to, you know, stay that way as long as we can. But. It's, it's definitely an interesting uh, forecast. Uh, but that's, we... that's what we like, or at least I know I do. Yeah. And I've spoke to other public works directors about it. We don't get an answer of, well, yeah, it's going to snow for another hour. <laughs> and they hang up on the phone on us. Right. They'll talk to us for 10 minutes. And they'll tell us all the ins and outs because they are geeks. Mm-hmm. You know? And just like we are, we're geeks for, no, you know, know. for plowing snow. Yeah. But we're getting more information and we're talking to someone who understands what we're looking right. for. So yeah, it's not just it's not going to snow for another hour. It's hey, then the clouds are going to break and the temperatures are going to warm a little bit. Or the temperatures yeah. are going to drop. And the winds are going to stay calm, so the roads may stay wet tonight, so you might have a freeze up. So it, it's all of those things that go into it. It's not just yeah, the snow is going to end at three o'clock in the afternoon. No, no, you're one hundred percent right. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we always have, it seems like a debate on what is the most important thing of the forecast. And we kind of went through it a little bit. Is it the timing? Is it the amounts? Is it the end time? So what do you think, Tom? Right on the spot now, is it the timing or the amounts? Amounts never meant much to me. (laughs) Listen, that's what we're there for. It's more of the timing. When's it going to start? When's it going to end? What the, what the length of the storm is going to be? You know, but, you know, when we have these big storms, I, I remember back in uh, the early 2000s, we had the President's Day storm, 36 inches of snow, and then FEMA gets involved. I'm like, why are we getting FEMA involved? That's what we were hired to do. We mm. plow snow. We take care of roads. We're ready to go. Um, I, plowing snow doesn't bother me. It's just the length of the storm and, and the type of event it's going to be. It's right. going to be ice or whatever. But uh, there's there's a lot of important information out there that you got to get used to using, and you got to you got to push that down to the supervisors so they can start making decisions sure. too. You know, not just the director or the superintendent. Now, I said to Brad a million times about how how far 
snow removal and has come since even the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's totally different. Now, yeah, we were just talking about that last yeah. week. How I can remember storms in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I'm kind of giving up my age here, but it seems like the roads could be covered for two, three days sometimes after a, a big storm. Now, mm-hmm. they're usually down to the pavement within 24 hours. I mean, it's just it's, it's definitely a big change or it's, you can definitely know that there's uh, there's been some... Um, a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Improvements, advancements. And yeah, all that. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. And I, I totally reiterate that fact. I mean, just in 2016, we had a major blizzard here in eastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey where we had 30 inches of snow. And within a day or two, it's just pavement. And I'm just like, that's amazing. Because if I go back to the blizzard of 96 or something like that, or the superstorm of 93, jeez, um, it took forever to get things cleared out. Now it's like, man, these guys have really got it down. Well, again, it's the advancement in equipment, you know, and forecasting and knowing. Yeah, I mean, there's just everything put together is making it a better product. I mean, by having chemicals, you have more advanced trucks. You know, because they have computerized systems in them to apply and to put down. I mean, I could watch in my office how much material each truck is putting down by drive-by download. Uh, all that stuff comes to play if, with how the event's completed or handled during, during the event and toward, towards the end of the event. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's – and we've set our expectations higher, too, because, you know, you can – granted, we're only talking about the 90s, which seems like yesterday, you know, but people are traveling more. They're, you know, it's a commuter town. No yeah. one lives and works in the town. So you have to make those standards higher because those are people that need to get out and move about and so on and so forth. Well, one thing I find really fascinating is I live in Pennsylvania and, and you can go on the PA511.org site and you can actually see all the uh, all the dump trucks that are out or the salt trucks and where they're at and they're and they're run. You can track them. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know if New Jersey does that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know Pennsylvania does, but yeah, you can see like you can zoom right in and see their track and where they've been over the last hour. And like you said, yeah. like you said, you could you can uh, you can track exactly what they're dropping on there and how much and where they're at every you know yeah. every portion of their of their uh, of their um, run. So I had another question too because there's always a question of a little bit of proactive versus reactive. I mean, uh, even to this day, I talk to some people that say like, well you know, we'll just wait for the police to call us or something like that. And then, you know, you know, I always looked at that like, kind of like, oh man, you're going to really do that, you know? Uh, But uh, so, I mean, obviously you seem like more of a proactive type camp of a guy (laughs) in the road department. Most people have, I mean, let's let's be honest. There's still a lot of guys say that I've been doing it like this for 30 years. I'm going to keep doing it this way. Um, and and I came from that, you know, originally when I started, I would we would wait for the police to call. But then when we hired your service and um, you know, you said, Well, how far in advance do you want to be? I said, Give me can you give me a two hour note? Oh, absolutely. And my phone would ring two hours before an event. I'd do a reverse nine one one call to all my guys, my guys would head in, you know, so you you wanna be proactive, not reactive. Because again, the reactive by the time the police call you, by the time you call your men in, you're going to lose a good hour at least, if not more. A lot of snow can come down in there. You're hour. playing catch up, yeah. Well, then you're trying to burn it from the top down again <laughs> instead of from the bottom up. There's just so many negative things about you know keeping your you know your ears closed and your eyes shut. 
um, and just waiting for the police. I mean, the last two towns I was in, police has never called them because we were always there before they, they decided to make the call. You know, so right. that's, I, I think that's the way you, you want to be. I think if your mayor and council or whoever your, your governing body is um, expects uh, professionalism from the department, you're, you're going to be proactive. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great move too. I mean, and, and that's why, you know, at Weatherworks, we try to help you guys and we're trying to, like you just said, trying to give you that notification. I mean, even if it's a snow squall, you know, at midnight, we're going to call you and it might be, you know, 45 hour notice, something like that. Um, but, uh, we're going to call you. We're going to let you know about that. Even though, you know, it's not a major storm, it still affects your roads. Yeah, they don't want to wake up at four or five in the morning and find out we got a half an inch of snow. It's, you know, 20 degrees and now you're mm-hmm. behind yeah. the game and traffic's well, starting you, to pick up. When you pre-treat roads prior to an event, like if you're saying there's going to be something at midnight, two o'clock, maybe a dusting, we can pre-treat roads and then tell one or two drivers, we want you in at, new, at midnight and we want you to circle the town, check it all out. Make sure there's no snow shower. But everything should have been taken care of by pre-treating during the day with a chemical because of that residual still lays there, you know? So now instead of in bringing the whole staff in at midnight to take care of all the roads that have a little sugar coating over the top of them, they're driving around checking just a couple spots that need to be done because everything else melted off. All right. Yeah. So we got two more questions, uh, Tom, then we'll, we'll let you go. But, okay. uh, Michael do the first one here and then I'll got one and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this one up. Oh, you got another one? <laughs> yeah, I got two more. I got one more question. But I'll let you cover that that one there because that's uh that's important. So folks don't know about that. So yeah, one thing we get questions about a lot is um uh pavement frost issues. Now, I don't know if you've come across that uh in your town in the past, but we've have had that issue with uh, some state DOTs um that have had issues with just pavements frosting up. Um, and there was no, no other precipitation. Yeah. There was no other storm. There was no other thing like that, but sometimes the conditions are just right where you're getting some moisture coming in at night. Uh, it's still cold and roads will kind of, they'll get condensation on them and freeze just like, like a soda bottle would, if you put it out like that, you know, get that condensation and mm-hmm. stuff freezing. It could be clear. Yeah, it could be clear. When, he may, when Mike mentions the moisture coming in, we're talking about like the dew points are coming up. Mm-hmm. Humidity is rising, even though you don't think about that really in the wintertime, but it can have an impact on the roads. So have you come across something like oh, that? Yeah. yeah, many times. Um, I hate to sound like a broken record, but by using chemicals, yeah, that kept there's usually residual left after an event. Yeah. You know, solution to uh, dilution to solution. You know, it it say maybe fifty percent is diluted, so the fifty percent is still remaining there in the pores of the asphalt. Then you get that frost coming up through the asphalt. You probably don't even know it because it's being melted immediately. You know, that's another advantage of using pretreating chemicals, even after an event, because you could have that the night after an event, right? You know, um, but if you apply at the end of the event and to get rid of the little slush that's left and it doesn't dilute totally. That product is still there to take care of that pavement frost. And that, and to reiterate that, that seems to be the route that clients take when we tell them there's a chance of pavement frost, they brine and they get that on the roads. And then 
You, get, you have nothing yeah. to worry about. Nothing happens. So then, of course, it's the whole like, then nothing happens. And they're going, well, did it really happen or not? You know, that kind of thing. Well, it's the same way with black ice. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes in the morning, you know, you start seeing on Twitter and, you know, a lot of the news stations, oh, you know, we've got traffic accidents all over I-95 here or all over I-80 yeah. because, you know, and you're thinking, wow, there's black ice somewhere. Something froze over. And, and a lot of times it, it's hard to predict. We, you know, we try to predict it as much as we can, but there are times when, you know, you get to get that right, uh, I guess, recipe where mm -hmm. you get just enough cold air and just enough moisture left over that you get that thin film of ice and it, it may not form until four or five in the morning. And at that point, you know, you, then you have to play catch up anyway. But, you know, you're hoping that you can forecast ahead for that. And it, you can, uh, but it's just something that that's one of those now casting things. You just got to keep an eye on them, especially when you already have a snowpack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit of that melt overnight. And then the next morning it's, you know, 25 degrees. It's clear out, but you get that thin film and you've got to be careful with that. Well, when you, if you have black ice and you think you're going to take care of it by putting salt down, what's going to turn the salt into a brine? Nothing. Because the ice is frozen solid. There's no liquid to right. get into the salt crystal, turn that into a brine. So basically you're using that as a abrasive. <laughs> That's what yeah. you're using it for, not as a melting agent. Right. It's an abrasive. So then you have to go to whether it's salt brine or a mixed salt brine agriculture or straight agriculture. It's the only way you're going to get through it because they're liquid already. All right. You know, and that's the whole concept is you have to turn it into a liquid to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last question, Tom. I'm going to put you on the spot here. It oh, could we be already the, did. We already put them on the spot. I know we have. All right. <laughs> it, it, could be, it could be the biggest snowstorm or it could be uh, the the... I guess, biggest ice storm or just your most memorable snow event or winter event that always sticks in your mind that you just can't ever forget? Well, it was, like I said, I'm sure there before. were a few, but one that yeah. sticks out. The, the President's Day storm still, you know, and I, I forget if that was 03 or 02. I don't, I don't remember the exact I year. think it was, I want to say it was like 03 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I wasn't at Weatherworks yet at that point in time. So I was living down south. I, I was hired in 2008. While. So, <laughs> um, but that, that's the one I remember the most because you know we we got caught with our pants down on that one. We didn't expect it to be what it was, and it just you know. And, and again, that's when we were experimenting with chemical, mm -hmm. so we didn't really have it figured out yet, or at least I didn't. So we were kind of doing it old school, um, and, and it just was it was a lot of snow. Yeah, but. You, know, you got to realize we're guys, you know, and, and the adrenaline gets going when you get an event like that. And it's almost it's like a challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to let this beat me, you know, and then when you, you knock it out and you get everything plowed back and you get the corners, you get the wheel loaders out, you know, I, just not, not a story, but I was home one snow event and it wasn't a big event. Um, but I hear this noise coming down the road. I'm like, what the, now I live over in Frankfurt. And so I walk out from around the garage and here comes a road grader pushing the edges back. I get goosebumps talking about it because yeah. that's what we're all about. You know, yeah. taking care of snow, you know, cleaning it up, whatever it takes. And here Frankfurt had the road grader out oh, pushing shit. snow. It made me proud to be a public works guy yeah. to see that guy doing it. You know, it just was great. Um, but that's, you know, we'll, we'll always be kids, you know, little boys playing with their trucks. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes to get it done though. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I always used to love it when we had a heavy snow about a foot and then I'd come into, I know it was just like an F-350 type truck, mm -hmm. but still when you put the plow down, you know, you get to throw in the snow off the side of the truck yep. and it's like 
going high up in the air and what, you know what was that, uh, the show the whole, whole, whole i forget it yeah oh, I, tim the tool man tim the, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah home improvement, home improvement. but uh, yeah <laughs> but uh no i just there was something about that when you laid that blade down and you just started that snow was flying off the side it was just like ah and then the the diesels wind in yep, and all that yep. kind of stuff and i was like ah <laughs> you know, i just get such a kick out of it yep. you yep. know everybody some people listening to this might be like what the heck is wrong with this guy you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's getting a kick out of plowing snow but uh most of us do yeah it, it it was certainly a good experience and even when i was a kid when the the town truck would come through and with that you know the big plow on the front and then of course my dad would be cursing because he just, just plowed in his driveway. driveway again. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, you know, it's to be expected. Yep. But uh well, I think that about wraps it up, guys. Yeah. I mean, anything else, Tom? Uh any comments? Uh no. Um you know, I, I hope uh I hope it's enough information that people can grasp, you know, what to do and, and how to move on with your operations, uh, how to make them more efficiently um or efficient. Um, because it really you know, I I know it's been being pounded down everybody's throat, um, but it works. I mean, it makes life so much easier to do it the right way and to welcome, you know, technology mm. because that's what this all is. It's all technology, and there's people doing this out in the Midwest every day, over and over. They know their stuff, uh, and that information has passed on. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're twenty five, thirty years behind what people do in the Midwest. Wow. You know, they were doing brining in the 70s, and wow. we started doing it in the mid-90s. That's it's just amazing. We're not that far from the Midwest, no, but crazy. it never made it over here. I wonder why that well, is. Well, a lot of the people you had in, in positions of like what I have, um, they're old timers. And they're mm. like, done it this way for 30 years. I'm going to keep doing it. None of that stuff works. It's all hoopla and all the other stuff. And then you get the new generation, which is me, which is now the old generation, but, you know, who accepts change and who's willing to try technology and you see the advancements happening. And that that's where we're at with all this stuff. So I'm hoping that, that people listen to this and take the information. Um, if, if they want any more information, they're more than welcome to get a hold of me. I mean, I, I love this stuff, as you can tell by the way I speak about it. Um, you know, I'll be more than happy to to help them out to train their men to do whatever yeah. it's a lot of fun that's great and uh you know I, i'm sorry to say that uh it doesn't seem like frank is here uh frank lombardo our ceo i know he's uh been I, a I good, good friend yeah, of, I, yeah. been a good friend of yours for many years and uh you know I, for some reason i i keep hearing that tom here calls him the chicken man he's the chicken man would you like to just fill our listeners in on what that means <laughs> Well, <laughs> or is this something that no, we shouldn't no, talk? No, no, Frank raises chickens <laughs> on the side, um, and w when I first learned of it, I kept asking him when I would call, whether it do a snow event or not. Um, I'd say I'm, I'm calling for a chicken parmesan sandwich, okay? Because you know, I figured that's the only reason he's raising chickens is the that. <laughs> <laughs> so I've called him the chicken man for 25 years now. You know, I've, I've <laughs> he known did. Actually, before we started the podcast, I, I said, uh, "I said, Tom, I looked and see if uh, Frank was in, uh, and uh, I didn't see him in his office." And Tom said, "Yeah, he's probably home feeding his chicken." <laughs> yeah. It's exact words. I'm not lying. You know, on that note, I think there might be a little something in the fridge here. Oh, really? Just for you, no Tom. Uh, so after we're done here <laughs> at this podcast, uh, uh. we'll go check that out. But uh, 
Thanks a lot, Tom. This has been really great. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming in and, and explaining all about brine and plowing and public works and getting and yeah, that, 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 with it. that side of uh, the point of view of uh, the DPW side. Yep. But um, that about wraps it up for this show of the Weather Lounge. Guys, please remember that you can always email us at weatherlounge at weatherworksinc.com if you have any ideas for a topic for the show or if um, you know, you're thinking of guests for the show. We'd like to hear that. So please drop us an email over there. But also we're on social media. Just search for Weatherworks and also weatherworksinc.com. That's our website to find out everything about what Weatherworks does for its clients in the snow and ice industry. And this podcast is always, every two weeks, we'll have a new one out there and find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, basically wherever you find your podcasts, you can find the Weather Lounge. So that's it for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time.